Aalto University Podcast. This is Cloud Reachers. I'm Tommy Kaupinen. Sabba, this is just fantastic to have you here again. Oh, thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here again. How are you doing? Uh, you know, all things considered, <laughs> given the circumstances, I, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Took a while, but I'm doing well. Um, how is it? Uh, well, I mean, we are now living literally a crazy time. I mean, it's the pandemic going on. How, how does the world now look like to you in these challenging times? The world looks very, very different. I think one of the things about the world right now is it's almost like it's almost like the curtain has been pulled. And we can see now a lot of the things that we had always been talking about, whether it's the world is changing rapidly, for the people who believed that, you know, racism was a problem, all of these different challenges, but also a lot of the opportunities, right? Like being able to work from home, having more flexibility, both good and bad. I feel like everything is just exposed. And now it's up to us. Okay, what do you want to do with it all? Um, that's an interesting point. So do you think, I mean, of course, it's 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 horrible time. I mean, in many ways, I mean, people are actually getting getting sick, sick and cases are increasing all the time and it's it's so worrying but uh but uh you mentioned something really interesting so it's actually also um opportunities and and um so what kind of things we should learn from this era and uh how how to kind of take best of it uh if if there is <laughs> good things to learn from this era Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. There's obviously a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of awful things going on. But I think through all of that, there are so many questions we're asking every day, whether it's about what is the role of government? What is the role of work? Do I have to be at work from nine to five? Where do I want to spend my time? You know, we're hearing so many people say, you know, I've, I've changing my priorities. So many people who are changing jobs, jobs they used to do. And they're like, no, now I want to spend more time with my family or I want to be at home more. I want to live in a different city. I was paying too much rent. I want to live somewhere else. There's, I feel like there's every single person has a different story. And I think one of the opportunities of the technology of the world that we live in, of everything that's happening right now is we were always living in that industry. You know, we always used to say we're living in that industrial model. We're living in an outdated model. And it's almost like now we have an opportunity to change models because everything's so flexible. Any There's every option is on the table for so many people, but it's a matter of sitting down and taking some time to pause and actually thinking about what are my priorities? What do I value? And what do I want my life to look like? I think I think these questions, are, like we have an opportunity to answer these questions for ourselves, for like as countries, as cities, as societies, as what we want things to look like going forward, because we're seeing so much pain and suffering in so many areas. Does it really have to continue? And what do we need to change? 
So it's almost like we can actually design our lives. Of course, given the constraints, I mean, there are certainly constraints and you cannot go, you know, out as much as you could perhaps, but uh, you can, in many, many ways, you can actually design your life. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I see in a lot of people is I think a lot of people want to have the opportunity to design their lives, but it's like, where do you begin? How do you get started? Okay, how do I design my life? Because for so long, somebody else has always designed your life for you. You're going to go to school at this time. You're going to go to work at this time. Like we were functioning like robots almost. And now it's like, it's it's being taken away. And sometimes when you get too much freedom, you also don't know what to do with it, how to manage it, how to design something new. So it's also, that, that is one of the challenges, right? It's the opportunity. Yes, you can design something new, but the challenge is, okay, do we have the skills to communicate, to collaborate and to actually design that together? Mm-hmm. So we, we actually need, you mentioned skills. So what kind of skills are needed for basically designing the life or your life or person's life? What do you think? I think whether it's your life or whether it's your workplace, I think one of the most important ones right now is we can't be scared to try something new, right? I mean, right now, if there was ever a time to try something new where I think everybody's going to be open-minded, where people are going to be a little bit more willing to maybe try something with you, this is the time. And I think that can, that's that's the hardest thing, right? About about anything new is being able to take that chance or being able to try something. You know, I always say there's like a there's there's like a it, it's a bridge between what is and what can be. But you have to walk across the bridge to know what can be. But if you're not, if you're too scared to walk on the bridge, you can never know what's on this side. So I I think it's that matter of like taking that first step towards, okay, we're going to try something new. Um, Also being able to communicate your idea, right? Like you might also be nervous about your idea, but other people might be nervous too. So how do you bring together different people together to say, okay, how about we try this? might go well, it might go, you know, there might be some things we fail at, but we can slowly make changes and we can test things and ideas and move forward. So I think, I think being, being not afraid to try something new. Mm -hmm. So curiosity and kind of iterative, um, I don't know, way of uh, working, co-working, co-creating is the thing. Co-creating. There you go. Absolutely. Co-creating. Yeah. So, so kind of, okay, well, we have this fight ahead, we have this bridge ahead, but let's go there together and, and co-create perhaps even that bridge uh, between the current situation and what could be in the, in the future. I really like that. Um, and then the bridge metaphor is just beautiful. I mean, thanks. For, I, I never thought, what do you think, uh, what is be, uh, below there in the bridge? I mean, if you don't really do that? Is there like, um, I don't know, what is what could be a better metaphor? Is there a river that is actually flooding anyway? So, so you have to actually start building that bridge before it's too late. What do you think? I, I think that's a great, you know, you just reminded me of something. I think what would be underneath the bridge or what would save you if you start to fall are your values. Do we believe in the same things? Because if we're falling and we're in a bad situation, If you believe something different and I believe something different, we have different values and we don't have those shared values or we haven't identified what those values are that we all believe in. When you start falling, 
you don't have anything to hold on to. You know, it's sort of like, you know, you know, it's in any situation, right? It's your, it's your faith. It's your core values of whether it's justice, whether it's truth, whether it's, you know, in the environment, whether it's education, whether it's, you know, diversity, whatever your values are, that's what is your foundation, your base that helps you also answer when you have questions. Okay, should we do this or should we do that? you go back to your values. So I'd say that would be what keeps you from drowning. Probably if you fall off the bridge or if something happens along the way on the bridge, your values hold you together as a, as a group, as a community of individuals. Mm. So that is your perhaps swimming skills in that metaphor. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and having different, like if you're saying skills, having different people with different skills, right? I think this is another thing that I wish um, we talked about a little bit more, especially like in schools and, you know, really everywhere. Right now, there's so much happening and change is so overwhelming, but you can't do it by yourself. You know, it's like, I have one skill, you have one skill. When we come together, we're stronger. Mm. But again, I think our, like in our old systems, it's like we're used to doing everything on our own. And so I think that collaboration piece is really important. Having a team of people that have these different skills, identifying what those different skills are so that we can use them together in the best way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I mean, when we were starting to record this, you literally gave me a new tip of how to create the backup recording, right? And I didn't know that, right? And I, I learned it in, in a few seconds. But I mean, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine if I would have to uh, learn it myself, by myself. I don't know, it would have taken hours or years. I don't know how long. No, absolutely. I mean, it's like you, if I ever get to have a fancy podcast studio like you, I know who to come to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome. Hopefully this pandemic time is at some point actually over. So absolutely. so I can welcome you again to Aldo University and, and I will be happy oh, to show that. you how it. This is, I mean, you, you came here to the basement. So this is, so, uh, podcast studio is exactly in the basement now. If you okay. remember, there was the virtual reality studio and, and all the mini oh, studios, yes, self-service yes, yes. studios. So we had the photo of you um, in those uh, bubbles, you remember? I do. So those bubbles are like a few meters from here. So it's like, Got it's, it. so <laughs> you can imagine. A great trip. I'll, I'll send you a photo <laughs> for of the surroundings. Um, hey, I wanted to... Um, have a deep dive on your research, recent research um, kind of achievements. Congratulations, new Dr. Sabba. Thank you. <laughs> how does it feel? And what, well, share, please. How, how was it? And how was your journey towards PhD? And, and uh, perhaps what did you learn on the way? And, and um, yeah, what is your results? Yeah, I I had such a fantastic experience. You know, one of my reasons for joining or what really started the journey for me was I felt like I was always talking about what we needed to do for students. We need to change this for students. We need to be doing this for students. And I think it just over time, I started thinking, I, I wonder if that's right. You know, what is it actually? I'm not a student but I'm sitting here talking about what we should be doing for students. So sort of like that empathy piece was starting to kind of come into my head. Like, I, I wonder what it's like to be a student today and do these all these ideas that we talk about, would they actually work? 
Because when I was the last time I was a student, it was back in 2008. So at that time, I didn't really have a lot of the obviously wasn't that much technology the way we have today. I definitely didn't have like any type of social media or online kind of network the way in which we have today. So I was very curious if I was to go back and be a student, what would it be like? How would I apply these tools and what would that feel like? And it was phenomenal, right? Like I feel like a lot of the things I used to believe in, I got to actually practice and it made me believe in them even more. I feel like this podcast and just me and you sitting here is such a great example. You know, I think back to taking a trip and like to before 2008, anytime I was a student before 2008, you would go somewhere, it would be amazing. You would meet somebody And that was kind of the end, you know? Yeah, you might get their business card and you might be able to like give them a call or something, but you couldn't record a podcast with them. You couldn't be connected with them online to just have those small conversations. And so I feel like because I got to really use those tools as a student, it really, really, really helped me become more confident in my vision or in our vision for what we need to do to be able to help people prepare for their future. So that was the one part of it, more from a personal experience about why I wanted to go into the program. The second part of it was I was really, I just, there was one school and they used design thinking in every single aspect of what they did, whether it was how they worked together as a team, whether it was how they how leadership was looking at things, their culture, their learning experiences, everything they did was by design. And so I I had always ever they're, they're about they've been around for about seven, eight years now. But ever since I became familiar with them about five, six years ago, I had always wanted to tell that story, the story of their school. I always wanted to just go in there and find out how are their teachers able to do this work? Because in a lot of places, you see maybe one classroom is doing something, maybe one group of places doing something. It's very, very rare. You see across the board, everybody is doing something. And not only are they doing something new, they're improving year after year after year after year. So I I always wanted to tell that story. And so I feel like the research and the doctorate program gave me that opportunity to think about the story, to do research, and just to have that guidance on how to tell that story from a research perspective. Does design thinking give us the knowledge, the skills, the mindsets to be successful like in this fourth industrial revolution? And so to be able to go in there, to have interviewed the t- teachers, to have really understood, okay, these are the elements that make the teachers successful was it was a really beautiful opportunity. And then alongside that, you know, like being able to visit, right, different countries and actually understand what's happening in other parts of the world. Because, you know, I think, again, it's one of those things, right, before the program, you know, we valued that global interaction. We knew the world is getting smaller. We have to know one another. But I think the pandemic has really shown us that you have to have an understanding of what's happening in different countries because look how quickly we can all affect one another in you know both good ways and bad. Mm-hmm. Thanks, and you you did your PhD in um, University of Southern California, uh, but where was that school? Where, which school are you talking about? Which school are uh, you studied? Oh. 
Yeah. So, so the school I studied is in San Diego and it's a public school. That was another thing I really liked. So it wasn't like a private school or, you know, just a new model. It was a public school. So that was important for me because when you are trying to show a best practice, you want to make sure it's as equitable as possible. That is this really something other people could apply? So if somebody's successful because there was a lot of money involved, then sometimes it's challenging to then say, okay, fine, yes, this is something everyone can do. But when the best practice is about people and how you're working together and your systems and your frameworks and your mindset, that we can help everybody learn. So that was really important to me to find a place where, okay, if I take a best practice from here, it's something I know tomorrow anybody could be able to apply if they wanted to. So it's a public school. It's a kindergarten through eighth grade. So like a primary and like a almost like not full secondary, but like, you know, mostly all primary um, school. And so, yeah, it was there. Wow. Hey, what are the, uh, perhaps the practices, um, I mean, that you, uh, that you found out and uh, that you would, uh, if you could uh, choose, I don't know, three or five practices that all public schools uh, or private schools as well, perhaps should uh, apply. Which would yeah, absolutely. So one of the first practices that came out of there was language, right? What we call ourselves and how we see ourselves matters. So for example, at this school, they don't say teachers, they say learning experience designers. So automatically you are in a different mindset. You are a learning designer, you know, you're, so it's just the language that they were using for a lot of their words. They didn't call themselves a school. They call themselves a campus. Um, every office had a different name, whether it was a welcome center or whether it was a design, like it wasn't a classroom, it was a design studio. So all of the names about the environment, about themselves were very thoughtfully designed. So I'd say that was a really big one. Just see how, just teachers seeing themselves as learning experience designers empowered them to say, okay, this is the role that we're going to take on. So I'd say that was the first big, big practice. The second one I would say Nobody worked alone. And, you know, in the interviews, so we did both focus group interviews and we did individual interviews. And in every single interview with everyone, they all said one thing that was the same. And that was, before I came to Design 39, it's the name of the school, before I came here, I always felt like I was on my own island. Even if I had support, even if I had an idea and everybody said, yeah, that's a great idea, go do it. I felt like I was by myself. And what changed for me here was now I am successful because of the people that I work with. So it goes back to this idea of collaboration. When we talk about wanting to move to a more project-based learning environment, design thinking environment, whatever it is that we're trying to do so that we are merging the curriculum and not teaching. So it's like math, science, English, you know, 50-minute blocks. If we want to create more of that holistic experience, we cannot do that alone. I, I don't know science, right? If my specialty is history, your specialty is math, it, it's hard for us to know as experts how to best design because I don't know math. You might not know history, but if we come together, we can each give that lens. And so I would say that was a second, I was probably the foundational practice that they work together to design these new experiences for their students. 
So that was another one. I would say another one was when they came together, also having that understanding of what those strengths are. So not we're just going to come together and collaborate, but okay, let me first empathize with you and let me first understand you. What motivates you? What chat, what, what, what scares you? Are you somebody who needs the schedule and you need to know how to, we're going to plan on this day, this day, this day, or are you more flexible? Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. If this happens, fine. If that happens, fine. So they actually used to take like a personality test. It was called the Emergenetics. And they used to take this assessment and it used to give them a profile so that they each knew a little bit about each other and how they work. So they could, you know, kind of accommodate a little bit. So I said that was another one. Um, I would say another one was the culture of leadership. You know, um, this idea that you're not going to have professional development on this day and this day. And I'm going to tell you what the professional development is that you're doing. You decide. You're, you're, you're an adult. You know what you need to learn. You decide what you want to learn and how you're going to learn it. So one of my favorite professional developments they used to have was something called Project Beep Beep. And it was where, as a team, they could go on a field trip. We want to learn more about, say, design thinking. So we're going to go to San Francisco. We're going to visit IDEO. We're going to visit this school. We're going to visit this business. And they used to be able to design their own field trips. So there were just a lot of those kinds of practices that allowed them as professionals. That was another big thing that came up is, I feel like I'm a professional. I feel like I'm valued. I feel like I have a voice, right? It's not just, oh, it's, it's not just kids that need to have a voice. Adults have to feel like they have a voice as well. Um, so really just giving the control back to the educators, letting mm-hmm. them plan together, giving them the time and space. Those were some of the major findings that came out that allowed them to be successful in changing school. So leadership, we are giving more freedom, basically. Yes. Beautiful. Um, what are perhaps um, some other, I don't know, perhaps not that obvious things that, um, that educators could um learn, um, I mean, from uh, research you made, uh, something that, um, that you, you want, that you would like uh, people to adopt uh, today, uh, teaching practices. Absolutely. And I think a lot of this, you know, when we were talking in the very beginning about what are the mindsets you need to have and, you know, what, what are some of the skills you need to have? I think one of the things that I really enjoyed being able to document through research was, okay, we want people to be creative. We want people to learn from failure. We want people to, you know, make and collaborate and, you know, be empathetic towards one another. But how do you actually develop these skills? And so to (laughs) be able to, right? But to be able to look at the relationship between going through the design thinking experience and the skills and mindsets that come out on the other side. And being able to to make that connection, I think was really valuable because the numbers were insane. And so for this part of the research, we did a survey with with every single teacher and we had a 100% completion rate, which was really nice. But they said 92% said they saw their students demonstrate more creativity. 94% said we saw our students not just solve problems, identify 
problems that needed to be solved. Um, uh, so many, so many, the numbers were so high, you know, um, I think, you know, we had another one, um, 94% said they saw a mindset within the students develop where they were able to learn from failure, where, you know, as one teacher gave the example, she said, our favorite word is pivot. We have to know, okay, it's not working. We're going to pivot now. We're going to move on to something new. We're going to try something new. Um, it was things like iterating, you know, you know, like in school, it's like you do a lesson, you do an assignment and you throw it away or like you forget about it, right? It's like, okay, on to the next thing. At Design 39, because they had that culture of design, they said learning never ended. Everything was connected. It was, it was always, okay, we're just moving. We're just moving sort of into the next phase, the next phase, but everything was connected. Empathy. They said they saw a lot of empathy developed in their students. 92% of the teachers, the learning experience designers, said they saw their students demonstrate empathy for not just one another, but also for the challenges that they were kind of experiencing, whether it was in their community or around the environment or any of those kinds of things that may have emerged. So that was really nice to be able to actually put some research to the skills and a process and a framework for how you can develop these. That was, I, I really enjoyed that part of the story. Mm -hmm. Just fantastic. I mean, I, I so connect to that, uh, that um, what you just shared, like really iterative designing and, and um, increasing empathy and perhaps empathy towards yourself as well. I mean, understanding that, okay, well, None of us is perfect, right? But I mean, it's always some room to to improve. Uh, it's not about perfectionism, but it's it's really to to adopt whatever we are creating to be better. I mean, better meeting the the um, the needs needs of actual users, right? Absolutely, and we really saw that there. I didn't talk about. This, but we really saw that mindset, exactly what you just described in their grading process. So they don't do like the A, B, C, you got an A on this, you got a C on this. Everything was about grading for growth. Everything, and they used to say this one line, I'm not there yet. You know, and, and I really, they said that yet is so important because I'm not there yet. I can get there. I'm just not there yet. I'm here right now. I will get here soon. So it was that idea that everything, it was a mindset of growth, not grades. I'm not doing something because I just want to get a grade and be done with it. I'm doing this because I'm growing. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. So the students used to, um, you know, they used to have like parent-teacher conferences. The students used to lead the parent-teacher conferences and talk about, okay, this is where I was. This is what I learned. This is my this is my strengths. This is my weakness. And they said the kids used to be so hard on themselves. They're really critical. They're more critical about themselves <laughs> than maybe the teacher would be in the feedback. So, so yeah, you're absolutely right. That empathy with your yourself and it changed how they looked at grades and assessment as well. I so, saw uh, I mean the the word yet I think that is that is going to stay with me for a while. <laughs> I I really love it because I mean it's so but I mean all, all these assessments uh, assessment and and also giving grades it's um exactly kind of me we are missing the latter part I mean the yet part right. So it's like uh, it's only giving the students feedback okay well this is where you are but not not really giving not giving space for improvement uh, like really looking at it as a, i don't know stairs or something like that where you can actually climb you can actually take the next step always 
Absolutely. Absolutely. goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, right? A lot of people are, are scared to take that step, to do that thing, because we've been trained that, okay, maybe I'm not good enough. Like, oh, maybe I'm going to fail. Instead of having that mindset of, I can try, I can pivot. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, I think you mentioned something very uh, important in the, the, I mean, before, um, at some point, uh, about the importance of really doing things together. I mean, learning experience designers in the in the school 39. So um, really saying that, okay, well, perhaps alone, we cannot do so many things, or at least, I mean, only limited amount of things, but uh, together you can do just fantastic things because it's like the power of team is just amazing because if you, when you have a team uh, that is exchanging ideas and, and ways to actually bring those ideas to reality, um, it's just, you know, it just it just works basically. I mean, of course, one should uh, perhaps apply some design thinking principles and agility, lean kind of way of working, and, and so on. But uh, then, when you have somebody at least who master those, then rest will just uh, follow. It's just Absolutely. amazing. It really is. And, you know, I have to give credit to my dad here because, you know, it's it's hard growing up. You don't always know what you're good at. You know, you to you, you're just yourself. Everything for you, well, that's just ordinary because to you, it's normal. And I remember growing up, well, so it's me and then I have three younger sisters. So we're four girls. And our dad always used to tell us, you know, always be like a team. You know, you each are different. You each have a different skill. You each have a different area where you're good. And if you always work together, if you always be together, you always, you know, help one another, you'll always be really strong. So I I was really, I always, you know, I look back now and I, you know, I tell my dad often when I see him, I'm like, wow, thank you so much. Because that's it's, it's such a rare mindset to grow up with that this is your strength. Don't compete with other people. You are your own person. You have these skills. You have these strengths. Be proud of those and come together and work together with other people. Wow, that's so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. I <laughs> that's I mean, it's it's uh, in other words and uh, beautiful to hear that it was your father who told you that, that or taught you that mindset from early on. Uh how was it uh, when if when you if you remember um in what kind of situations you were using that team power among your <laughs> four supergirls? With my sisters? Yeah. Honestly, we used to plan parties when they were getting, when somebody was getting married or some, there was a graduation or there was really just anything that we had to do together, even if it was moving or planning a trip, you know, oh, you're really good at this. Okay. Can you do plan this part? Oh, I'm good at this. I'll plan this part. Um, I can, I'm really good at organizing. I can do this part. So we, we used to do a lot of projects together, a lot of trips together growing up and things like that. That even now, till this day, if you know, if there's a birthday party or if there's something, it's like, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and it's kind of like that teamwork. <laughs> nice, so nice. Um, hey, I wanted to ask you, but it just came to my mind because I know that you have been um, traveling before the pandemic times quite a lot and you enjoy traveling, and that's why we also, by the way, have this conversation because you traveled to Finland with the group from the University of Southern California to visit our university. And, uh, and other institutes. So, um, so, and I know that you have been also traveling a bit in this pandemic time. So what is, how do you see traveling nowadays and how do you see the 
future of traveling? Do we have any hope or <laughs> is it going to be all virtual or what do you think? So first of all, I'll say I'll, I'll, there, there's so much hope. There is so much hope. And I think one of the, you know, I keep thinking about this one sentence because I'm definitely not comfortable saying, sure, everybody go and travel. And the reason I'm not comfortable saying that is because when you travel, what people will tell you is just use your common sense, you know, do the basics, wear a mask, wash your hands. But one of the scariest things we've seen during this pandemic is just how many people do not want to follow common sense. So it's a very, so I would never say, yeah, sure, everyone go. But I will share what my personal reason was and how I went about doing it because literally I used the design thinking process. So I was so frustrated, probably like so many people who were working from home. I mean, when you're a teacher... Or just even in the work that I do now, I don't wake up in the morning and sit at my computer in front of a screen. I wake up, I go to a, like I used to go out for a coffee shop, I have a breakfast sometimes with people, used to meet people during the day. And then when I used to come home in the evening, I would use my computer to do work or things like that that needed to be done. So the idea for me every single day coming, sitting at a desk, no movement, no outside, it was very, very difficult. And so I started, I asked myself, I started asking, okay, three years from now, two years from now, one year from now, when all of this is over, you will look back and you will be so angry at yourself for having just wasted this time. What will you say? I, you know, we always have that moment, right? I wish I had done this. Whenever everything's yeah. better, then yeah. we're more optimistic. <laughs> I wish I had done this. So I made a list. Okay, what are all those things you're probably going to say you wish you had done? I want to write a book. I want to travel. All these things you want to do. And one of the things that was really important to me was I have a nephew in London. My sister lives there with her, with her husband and he's two years old. And they were actually supposed to move in June and because of the pandemic, they couldn't. So I said, okay, you know, wow, I have all this time. I could spend it with my nephew. Usually I could only go for a week and a half or something like that. But wow, I could maybe go and just work from there. But I was very nervous about traveling because, you know, the headlines and news, don't travel, don't travel. And then I was like, okay, but wait a minute. So I started watching other people online. This is why I love the internet and stories, right? And I was watching so many people in Europe in the summer travel. It was like it was normal. Yeah, they were wearing a mask and they had, you know, wash your hands. They had all these protocols. But it was like everybody was traveling in Europe. And I said, why, why is everybody else able to travel? But here in America, we're getting all this like information. So everybody says, there's some, I started asking people, oh, what was your experience? How was it? And I got so much positive feedback. There wasn't one single person who said, no, it's awful. Stay at home. They said, come wear a mask wash your hands, you know, stay safe, be responsible. And so I said, okay, let, let me take that small step, right? The first step. So my sister lives in London. So I was lucky I had a, a place to stay and whatnot. So I went, I said, okay, let me just go to London first and be with my sister and my nephew and, you know, her husband. So I went over there. I stayed there for about a month. I was like, wow, this is great. You know, almost felt like life was normal again, you know? And what I really loved about it was the, the time zone difference. So it was, I could wake up, I could go outside. I could kind of have that experience, you know, be outside, be with people, go to coffee shop, whatever. And then around four o'clock is when in America, it was morning. So that's when I would start my work. So my day turned. I would have my morning and afternoon open and then my evening free, which is exactly, that was my problem I wanted to solve for, right? I was really <laughs> struggling with the morning routine. 
So that was solved for. Then I spent a month in London. I was like, wow, this is great. Everything's you know good. You got to be very responsible. You know, a lot of things you have to do, but nothing that ruins the experience. And so I said, okay, let me try taking one trip. So I went to Italy for about five days. It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Came back, stayed in London for about another month. And I said, okay, let me try one more, a bit longer. So I went to Turkey. This time I did three weeks. So each sort of thing was like a bigger step, a bigger step, a bigger step. But again, talking about that mindset in the beginning, if you don't ever try, you don't know. Mm. I, I mean, I absolutely, this is fantastic uh, what you just said. And uh, I'm sure the future listeners and actually <laughs> listeners right uh, next week, because we are going to release this super fast now from the recording, will uh, we'll, um, hopefully take this message uh, from you um, And uh, and basically help uh, them to create um, they design their lives um, to be better. I I have to share one thing. I uh, three I think three or four years ago I was thinking okay what in like five years from now what will I regret if I didn't do it now? And uh, then I was really thinking harder. Then it was like okay well uh, I will regret uh, if I didn't create a team for alt online learning. So and start these regular brown back meetings every Friday, uh, which I was used to uh, when I was in Germany, and I did it. So I established the team. I mean, kind of immediately. So I invited all my students, master students, uh, to the team, and uh, then some others. And and uh, now I think it was just one of the best <laughs> decisions that I ever made. So really, you know, gathering some some group of people to work together and. Not always, you know, organizing all these events alone. That's wonderful. Well, what would what would your answer be? Like, how how do you see the current situation? Because you're in a different country, you're experiencing it probably completely differently than I am. What is sort of your take, and your, what would you say to people? Mm, yeah, I think there is. Um, we should be first of all. We should be very thankful uh, for all the all the. Um, kind of spirit that you can evidence in the world. So people are really careful. I mean, most of the people are really careful. They are actually using, making, having all those precautions and uh, wearing masks and uh, staying home. And I mean, being really careful. So I think that is something that we can absolutely value. And also um, also the companies creating the vaccines. I mean, I mean, they're actually making research. They are doing science. I think that that should be very highly valued. Also, um, I think there is uh, there is there is a lot of hope. I, I tend to think that we are on a treasure island uh, now or treasure mountain now. So of course it's challenging. Of course it's crazy times. Of course it's a lot of horrific things happening. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's uh, it's still a lot of treasures on this mountain. Uh, we should really think like what can we bring from this um, treasure mountain uh, back uh, to to the future. I learned about this treasure mountain from some book or podcast I cannot even remember now, but I have been carrying it uh, ever since with me. And uh, now more than ever, I think in these crazy pandemic times, uh, we we should really look around and and uh, try to understand. I mean, I'm now looking at all the microphones around me <laughs> and uh, like, what are the... Um, what are the ways of working in this new environment, for example, that are really almost like treasures that I should really, really bring 
towards uh, to, to, with me and with our team, with all the other people uh, towards the towards the future. And uh, having this conversation is, I think, also one of these treasures. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know, these are just a few words that, that I had in mind uh, about the situation. But I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm planning to go to Lapland next week. I'm, I'm so nervous about it. <laughs> that's what I was saying, right? So, I mean, you can't, that will never go away. You'll no, always feel nervous. No. So what do you say to yourself? Like, how do you talk yourself through that? No, well, yeah, that's, well, I, it's, I think it's, I mean, the process. So I'm... You know, I, I tr- first of all, I, I was thinking that, okay, perhaps flying is safer, right? So, because it only takes like one hour and uh, then it's like isolated cottage. So I do everything I can. It's uh, it's one place in Lapland that I really personally love. It's I've been staying there a lot as, as a child, as a teenager already. So I, I really love that place. Um, but I know it, I, I really connect to also what you said about it never goes away because for example today when I came to the podcast studio and I by the way this is the third time this week I come to campus to podcast studio so um, today I was thinking okay well I'll wear the mask and uh, let's see if others if there is first of all anybody else so now there is nobody else but when I entered the building there was a guy coming towards me exactly in the corridor who didn't wear a mask and I was like wow what's I mean this is exactly what I was afraid of <laughs> like like, you know, you imagine that, okay, well, what is the chance of somebody coming towards you and not wearing a mask? And then it actually happened. And I now I haven't seen anybody else, right? So it was exactly that moment. So I don't know, but storifying this and perhaps, I mean, hopefully I still survive and, and likely I will survive because I were, were, was I'm also sure wearing a mask. <laughs> You'll be fine. I'm very jealous. Oh, that's Lapland's like one of my, I'm one of my dream locations to visit one day. So beautiful there. Yeah. So, hey, we'll have a podcast recording there then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One day or video recording, anything. Let's organize a conference there. I mean, happy to show around. It's uh, just fantastic in Lapland. It's uh, just so beautiful. Uh, I'll share you some videos and photos. Oh, please um, do. Hey, please do. Thanks, Abba. Thanks so much for joining. Um, this was just fantastic uh, to have this conversation with you. I learned so much and I'm, I'm sure all the listeners will also um, or also learn so much. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Uh, let's have a episode <laughs> again in the future. Thanks so much for joining. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me, Tommy. Bye. Bye. So this was Cloud Reacher's podcast. I'm Tommy Kaupin. Uh, stay tuned for more pod- podcast episodes. Uh, they are coming at an increasing pace. Ciao.